Welcome back, listeners, to episode five of the Punting.Fantasy podcast. My name is Sam. I'm joined once again by Tom and Mitch. Gents, plenty happening in the world of sport. Can't wait to get into it. But first, we'll start again. How are you guys going? Yeah, good. It's a uh, pretty gloomy night here in, in Brisbane. Big storm going on at the moment, so apologise for any background noise. Um, but yeah, no, as Sam said, what's happening? Plenty happening in the cricket, world of cricket and world of basketball at the moment, so uh, can't wait to get into it. Yeah, going well, thanks, Weto. I'm um, a little bit deflated this week. The uh, Mole Rats caught their first loss last week. Um, Bill was better. His boys uh, outlasted mine in the end, so good on you, Bill. But, um, boys, as we have the last couple of weeks, I've got a question for you. If you could pick what sport you were the best in the world at, what sport would you pick? Golf. Oh. Definitely, hands down. Money's good, travel's good. Plus, I love myself some golf anyway. So, um, Tiger Woods has led the way in that department. So, definitely golf for me. Yeah, this is pretty easy. Um, it's got to be basketball. I would love to be a uh, an NBA superstar. Just the money, Tom, or or is that just? Part of it? I love playing basketball and I love watching basketball and I like earning lots of money. Although I've never done that before, but that would be cool. I can imagine that would be cool. So. I'll throw it back on you, Mitch. Uh, what would you like to be the best in the world at? Uh, I think I would go soccer. I don't really like soccer as a sport, but I think the money and just the the scenes, especially if you're a European, because you'd be like a god. Like being the best in the world, but being Australian would kind of be shit. But if you were, you know, Argentinian or like like Maradona or Pelé or something, that'd be pretty awesome. It's not a bad answer. Um, especially the travel. Obviously, your World Cup's your, your major one, whereas golf and basketball, you don't don't really have those sort of events. But, um, nah, ripper, gents. All right. Again, three topics this week. Uh, NBA is going to be a big one to start off with before rolling into a bit of cricket. Um, obviously, the, the big bash starting up and, and now about to roll into day three of the Ashes test. Plenty to talk about there. As you can hear, the storms are rolling around the back of Tom's place at the moment. Um, and we'll uh, we'll close off with a bit of a racing recap and preview for this weekend. Now, starting off with the NBA. Um, look, we're going to bring up the, the Portland Trailblazers debacle at the moment and Tom being an avid supporter of that team, we're just going to request that you're really honest about what you're going to talk about here and um, there's no there's no internal bias at all because um, the listeners are, are sick of you hearing supporting the Blazers too much. So uh, chat us through what's going on in the land of Portland at the moment, Tom. Right, well, much the latest is um, there was a, a report released by A. Wojnarowski a couple of days ago. He stated that, Damian Lillard is campaigning for a two-year, $107 million contract extension, which would keep him locked up until age 36 in Portland. Uh, he said that this was going to be a condition of the current GM search. Um, obviously, as we all know, Neil O'Shea was fired by the Blazers last week. Um, and he's also reported that all leading GM candidates are more inclined to trade Lillard as opposed to giving him that extension. Um, so that's come out during the week. Dame's come out and refuted that. And this perhaps suggested that Neil O'Shea may have been behind the uh, 
the report. It's been known in the past that Olshay has uh, leaked leaked news to Adrian Wojnarowski um, and only Adrian, Adrian Wojnarowski. So that's going on. Um, Dame's obviously a lot in the public eye at the moment. Um, he's, he's clapping back a lot on Twitter. Um, they're talking that he's campaigning. This was also mentioned in the report that he's campaigning for his senior veteran teammates, CJ McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic, ETC, to be traded. Um, Dame so far has come out and he's refuted all of these reports. He said none of this is true. Um, but I can imagine it's all playing some kind of havoc with, uh, with the team chemistry. So the other problem, obviously, is that every man his dog is injured. Um, Dame's obviously missed the last few games. He's had a cortisone shot in his abdomen. He's hoping to be back on Sunday. CJ now out indefinitely with a collapsed lung. Nasir Little came back today after missing the last week with the sprained ankle, but left the game with the uh, leg problem. Uh, Anthony Simons obviously still out. Um, Chauncey Phillips is constantly questioning the team's effort and how hard they're playing. Um, there's all kinds of um, sort of upheaval in the front office. So, yeah, things have never looked as, as bad as they do right now um, for Blazers fans. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Um, obviously, the next step is pretty cloudy. I'm keen to sort of get your guys' take um, from a, I guess, not a fan's perspective um, on, on what you reckon what you reckon the best course of action is for the Blazers going forward here? Well, I don't um, I don't really want to add anything more, Tom, because I know that you're probably twice as across this matter as I am. But as I'll, I'll flip it back onto you, if what move would you like to see made as a Blazers fan? If you are assuming that these are all true, like just assume that everything that's come out is true. What's what's the next move? Well, I suppose on the true thing, Dave's come out and said he wants to be, he wants to remain a blazer um, amongst all. Of this. And if I'm going to believe anyone in this, it's Daniel. He's well, he's a stranger and he has been. So I think as long as he wants to stay, he's staying. You don't trade a top ten guy like Daniel, especially if he wants to stay in a small market like Portland. So for me, as much as I love CJ McCollum and, and you know Yusuf Nurkic as much as he frustrates the fuck out of me sometimes. Um, I think the next move is is to look at what is uh, available. Obviously, there's been a chat about Simmons. Um, the faces uh, have come out this week and said they'll be looking to rebuild and they'll be looking to offer for Karis Burt, um, one of of Miles Turner or Mal- um, Demarcus Bonus. Um, so yeah, there's going to be opportunities out here. Obviously, we know that the, the December 14th contract extension um, deadline for for players is up this week. Not contract extension, but all players who signed an off-season extension will be eligible to be traded. So there's going to be a bit more action here, and, and I think that's the best move going forward is, is to look at maybe what what's uh, sort of, you know, gettable for, for Sierra McCollum or Yusuf Nurkic or even someone like Robert Covington, although he's, his play has um has rendered him probably pretty hard to move at this point, I would have thought. What about, um, does that include Aussie boy Ben? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I've sort of been opposed to it. Um, for the duration of the whole experiment. Um, and I suppose, as I mentioned before, it's a pretty, pretty dark time to be a Blazers fan. I've been a Blazers fan for, for a little while now, um, and the team has never looked as directionless as they do right now. So, you know, I'm still not 100% sold on the idea, just the way that Simmons has gone about handling his business this year. But as I've said, <laughs> things can't really get worse at this point. Um, so, you know, CJ's come out this week and said, um, you know, there was a report by Jason Quick, um, you know, CJ 
wants to be in Portland as well. You know, he's about to have a child. Um, he owns a vineyard in, in Portland. So it would be really sad to see a guy like that go, especially a guy who, as I said, he's one of my favourite players to watch. So I would be really disappointed if he was to be dealt. But at this point, I don't think there's any other option on the table. So Yeah. Well, whilst we're on the, um, whilst we're on the topic of fan bases who are doing it pretty tough at the moment, I might actually throw over to Weddo because he's got a few guys on this team, on his fantasy team, who... I'm, I'm sure Bowman's boys are pretty happy that, well, happy might not be the right word, but are taking advantage of the fact that Zion Williamson has just had another setback during the week. And, um, you know, it's pretty bad news for the league but because um, obviously he's an elite talent and he's he's just good for the league. He's good for that franchise. But that what do you, what do you think, Weto? Because you've obviously got JV and um, Josh Hart on the team. So... You'd be reaping the benefits of this setback, mate. Yeah, I think any benefits from that setback have sort of been counteracted after uh, Tom managed to unload CJ McCullum probably two or three hours before they came out and said that he actually had a collapsed lung. Um, so it was, that's, that's, it was longer than that. It was a day before. Sort of hurt me a little bit, but um, the, the Zion setbacks definitely, and like you said, although it's no good for the league, everybody wants to see him back out there and playing. Um is certainly certainly good for Hart and Valanciunas. So hopefully I'm able to climb up the ladder because the boys are struggling at the moment. But um, yeah, that was a that was a little bit of a win. But we all saw a photo that came out during the week um, of of Zion's let's call it figure. Um, what did you make? What did you make of the the return to obviously the return to playing process? But this is obviously the the second or third setback that he's now had in the in the same injury. So what have you taken out of that, Tom? Um, I think the league is on a fast track towards a really problematic contract extension. We've talked about it a bit uh, already in the last few weeks, but Zion's almost up for that uh, that rookie max extension, and he's going to get it um, from the Pelicans, but I think this has got them turn pretty nasty pretty quickly. As Sam mentioned, the uh, the injury hasn't wasn't uh, sort of well disclosed in the first place. So that's been that's been well documented around the league. And the recovery is also not going well. You know, with the Pelicans, they've been hardly been transparent throughout this whole process. So who knows what uh what what's next really, I suppose, you know, it's it sucks he's not playing, but I think this is gonna get pretty pretty problematic pretty quickly um for the Pelicans because I don't like the way this is going for them and they're gonna they're gonna be owing him a lot of money and um I don't know how long he's gonna be wanting to hang around uh, in New Orleans. Um, moving on, what is happening in Houston? Uh, what has changed in Houston that all of a sudden they're they're knocking over teams like the Nets um, and just playing like a, a well-oiled machine? Um, yeah, interesting, isn't it? In the news today, they're the first team in league history to have a 15-game losing streak and a seven-game winning streak in the same season. Um, and it's even more phenomenal because we're only just over a quarter of the way through the season and they've managed to do both already. So it's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, obviously they're playing really well. Um, I love Jalen Green going into the draft process. I still do love him. I think him sitting out, missing the last few games, has probably helped him. Um, they've moved Christian Wood to the five. He's playing a lot more minutes there. A lot less Daniel Tice, a lot less Alperen Shingoon. Um, which, while it sucks for Shingoon's development, I think is is a good option at the moment as we're seeing they're winning games. But the floor's spread. Um, Jason Tate has been phenomenal. Garrison Matthews has really come on strong. He's hitting. 40 plus percent of his threes. Um, 
So, you know, we've seen a lot more ball movement, we've seen a lot more assists, and we've seen a lot less turnovers. And I think um, Green has got the tendency to be a bit of a ball stopper. We've seen that sort of through his his um, career, like his high school and his G League career and so far in the league, and he struggled with his field goal percentage. Um, so they've climbed, they're hitting 43% of their threes through this win streak, um, which would be best in the league, and that's up from 30% in the 15-game losing streak before that. Um, so there's more space out there with the fives. Um, looks to be a lot more comfortable and a lot more engaged, which I think is massive for them. He's, he's got a bit of an on and off mode sometimes. So, yeah, no, they're playing really well, and it's good to see him doing well as a young team. I think it's really good for Stephen Silas. I'm really happy for him. So, yeah, it's good to see him playing well. Anything you got to add, Mitch? No, I think your analysis is pretty good, Tom. I, like, if the viewers haven't figured out by now, Tom's analysis is very good. I go much more off gut feel. And uh, my gut feel with this team is that they had six... The first six of these seven games are really easy games. Or, you know, at that point, they weren't a good team either. But um, I think they're just a young group. And, you know, they just got on the winning streak, bit of momentum, and their confidence is just through the roof at the moment. And uh, the Nets were without KD today. But I would have thought... I actually was a little bit underwhelmed with Harden's performance. I thought his first game back in Houston, he'd want to give the fans what they were so used to seeing whilst he was in Houston, but they just, um, they, they, well, it was a bit of a blowout. Like they never, the Nets never really got close to Houston today. So, um, yeah, bizarre scoreline. I was surprised to see it. I obviously thought, oh, six in a row is pretty impressive, but that'll be ending when they come up against the Nets. But here we are. What'd you make of the tribute, the tribute video, Mitch, for, for James Harden? Obviously he was back in Houston, as you mentioned, for the first time today. So what, how'd that make it feel? Uh... I don't know. I'm a bit sour about how he left. I think he definitely could have handled that better. But in turn, like it was nice to be reminded of just how dominant he was whilst he was there. Um, whilst he probably fell, you know, when it mattered most, due to just if well coming up against probably at the worst the second best team of all time uh, yeah. didn't help his chances. But um, yeah, just like hearing some of the amount of points he scored in games there was yeah it was a great time to be a Rockets fan now it's not so good and I'm a bit more of a fair weather Rockets fan now but um yeah no I if you if we want to move on to the next subject there's that's a team that I'm really on at the moment so they're one of my bandwagons Take we'll, we'll, lead, we'll lead straight into it Garland Mobley Cavs playing good footy just traveling really well at the moment what have you? What have you sort of made? Like we, we mentioned that how how impressive they had been to start the year uh, before Mobley obviously missed a couple of games due to uh, an elbow injury. But um, now that he's back, he's he's back and he's been as dominant as he was in his first start to his rookie season. Um, what have you made of it? Um, might be a little bit of a hot take. I think you know, obviously Cade Cunningham started the season when he came back from his ankle sprain. He he was struggling to shoot the ball and his percentages are really bad. And if he's picking him up now, he's he's been pretty hot the last sort of week or two. But I honestly think that Evan Mobley has got the Rookie of the Year award in his pocket just about already. Um, this bloke is phenomenal. Like, I was just running through some of the stats this afternoon looking at sort of him and his impact on the team. We spoke last week that they were 0-4 um, when he was out. But obviously at the moment they're third in defensive rating in the NBA with a defensive rating of 104. Uh, Mobley, with him on the floor, is 99.8, um, which is... Is phenomenal for a rookie. Like that's just 
it's unheard of to have see you know a rookie with that kind of impact. Obviously, he had five blocks and two steals again today. Um, he's just everywhere. And I think the scariest thing about the bloke is that he's still really, really thin. Um, his his frame is really slim. Like he's got a lot of muscle to put on. And that, if you look at his field goal percentages, he's shooting forty six percent from the field, playing most of his minutes at the four. I think once he builds a bit of muscle, um, that percentage is going to rise. You can see he, him be a bit more dynamic on the offensive end, which he's already shown sort of a really full toolkit there. So I just think he's been super impressive, um, and he really has impacted them in winning games. Um, seen him have hot runs before. They look like a legit team at the moment. Um, and I think he has played a huge, huge hand in that. And Gallimolo's numbers aren't that much better than, than last year at this point. He has been really good, looked much improved. Um, and, yeah, they, they look like they've really got some pieces uh, going forward, the Cavs. So I think it's a really exciting time to be to be Cavs fan again. Yeah, as you guys already know and the listeners have probably already figured out, I'm one of the biggest Mobley fans going around. Um, he, for a rookie, like, his defense is already elite. I would, I think it's easy. Like, you, that's I agree. information to say. Yeah, I agree. yeah. But even on offense, he still does a lot of things better than the average NBA center already does. Like his um his playmaking is one of the main reasons why him and Jared Allen are able to stay on the floor together because he can make that short roll pass to the corner or even sometimes you know a good bounce pass into Jared Allen for he only takes floaters and dunks but um and he I actually watched that game today. He had um he had 10 points in the first quarter. And he was actually demand. He was just getting low on low in the post. Whenever he had Lonzo or um, Ao Dasumnu or however you pronounce his last name, um, if he had them on the low block, he was actually demanding the ball and just just scoring over them. Good footwork in the post. Um, like you said, Tom, I think if he gets um, if he puts a bit of muscle on, that'll help his offensive game a lot. And I think he's already got good enough footwork in the post yeah. to already be a good. Um, post scorer and he's he's actually shooting 33% on threes with two attempts a game like obviously not a massive sample size but that'd be above average for a center in the NBA as well so yeah I'm I'm all about him I think he's flashed like he's flashed to the ability to be like a real transcendent type of guy like he's getting he's like dominant he could be dominant on both ends of the floor, a Giannis-level type player on both ends of the floor. If he puts on that muscle that we've seen Giannis do, like he's just he is everywhere on the defensive end. Um, super athletic, really good rim protector. Yeah, and I think once he once he puts on a bit of muscle and the field goal percentage starts to go up, and he gets a bit more skill and a bit more sort of experience about him. I think he's going to be a really really good player for for a long time. Tom, did you see his block on Zach Levine today? I didn't know. So he he's standing on like the. Uh, charge block line i don't know whatever you call that but he's um he's just gone vertical and as you know zach levine one of the best athletes in the nba um just gone vertical then zach's kind of figured i have to finish around him and he just snatched it like he literally just hooked it out of his hands and just yeah. started up the court i was like holy like zach levine is no slouch <laughs> when it comes to athleticism and finishing around the rim and he just he just snatched it you know, I, yeah, I can't speak more highly. Um, like I, I've watched a bit of him this year, obviously because they're really exciting to watch. But yeah, I think he's going to be a really good player. And I, I reckon, as I said, I reckon rookie of the year. You can just about lock him in if he stays healthy. 
I've probably got two more things for you just on that. Obviously, I hate to talk about injuries being a positive, but firstly, do you do you see the injury to Colin Sexton um, sort of being a little bit of a blessing in disguise um, for this yeah. for this crew? I'll start with you, Mitch. <laughs> yes, Colin Sexton. Uh, I can't remember who Brony was talking about. Oh, Jalen Green. You think Jalen Green's a ball stopper? You should watch the Cavs play when Colin Sexton's out there. <laughs> Holy! And some of the shots that bloke takes, like he just has tunnel vision. And it looked a lot better last year when he was up around 24 points a game, but he was at 13 points a game this year and shooting terrible percentages. Like, it was ugly. Honestly, you never, you never wish an injury on anyone. Um, and I think it is unfortunate he's got injured. I think Cavs have made it pretty clear that he's not part of the, uh, the future there. Um, they were very hesitant. There was, there was reports of them being very hesitant during the offseason to sign him to his rookie um, extension. Uh, I don't think he's. I don't think he quite commands max money. But you know, a guy coming off twenty four points a game, he has to pay him something. I think, you know, I think you, with negotiations like that, you've got to go in with a target in mind and say we're going above this line. And um, I think he, he's the type of guy who'd be very easy to overpay for, just based off counting stats alone. Um, but as you said, Mitch, yeah, he's a bit of a ball stopper. Um, gotten a lot better off the catch through his time in the league, but um, I think Garland is is the clear. A clear-cut sort of option then going forward, especially given the makeup of the rest of their roster. Now, with with Mobley and Allen, probably pieces pieces, you know, one A sort of if Garland one B, and then and then Jared Allen's definitely number two on that list in in, in pieces that are sort of high on the priority list. So I don't know how much of a future. Obviously, Garland's has, uh, sorry, Sexton's had surgery and going to be out for the rest of the year. Um, but I don't know if we'll see him in a Cavs jersey again. I think I think they've are. Uh, Taking a few steps without him on the floor. Yeah, I saw a stat the other day. Um, this is the best record the Cavs have had. So since LeBron started in the league, through this many games, this is the best record the Cavs have had in a year that LeBron wasn't playing for them. Yeah. So, and as you said there, Tom, I, the major improvement is obviously on the defensive end, and that's where this 20-year-old rookie like, is just at his best. So... I think, and Colin Sexton, I think he likes to tell everyone how good of a defender he is, rather than how good he actually is on the floor. Like he, he's one. Of, he's like a Pat Beverly type. He's a barker, and whenever he makes a play, he'll carry on like a pork chop. But realistically, throughout the whole game, he gets cooked more often than not. Don't get me wrong. I think like I'm, I hate to sound like I'm sort of trash from Colin Sexton. I think he's a he's a pretty good player. He's definitely a role for him. Going forward, but I, I honestly think his best his best role going forward is to is to you know be a six man. Um, I think he's perfect in that mold, that sort of Williams Jordan Clarkson type mold, just an absolute flamethrower off the bench. He's going to come in, he's going to jack up, you know, jack up his twenty shots in his, in his twenty two minutes. Um, you know, he'll have shot, he'll have nine three shoots, twenty five percent from the floor and and struggles. Um, but he'll also have nights where he gets hot. And he, uh, he can he can really teams to beat you off the bench, but I think he's best in that kind of limited limited role, um, six man of the year candidate kind of player. I think. Um, as three Australians, we we certainly couldn't be sitting in a better spot um, after, at the end of day two than than we are at the moment, and. We were both. We were all lucky enough to to see day one um, at the Gabba. Mitch, kick us off. 
What'd you take? Um, oh, it was a great day, Wedo. It was a classic Brisbane day. It was muggy as anything. Um, I was, <laughs> I'm a sweater at the best of times, mate, but I was dripping out there. Um, yeah, I just couldn't believe it that all three, like all three of us can admit the scenes when Stark took that wicket first ball. Wow. Yeah, like it, I, yeah. there were in, there were English people who still got up out of their chair. They were more out of despair rather than actual, you know, just pure enjoyment. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it, to be honest. I, we actually talked about – Weddo was with – it was Weddo and, and another two mates. We, um, as we were walking in, we are like, can you just imagine if just first ball we just knock someone over? And the fact that it was bold as well, like often when you get a caught behind or something like that, it takes the Australian blokes to start celebrating before the crowd realises that it's out. But the fact that it was bold as well, oh, it just made it. But the one thing that gives me the shits about that ball right? How that wasn't hit for four, I don't know. Like, if he just stands where a normal batsman stands, that's just like a half volley on leg stump, right? Yeah. I. That was just the start of just a terrible display of cricket for that day for England. But I'll let you add on, Tom, because you can give your take before we get any further into the analysis. Yeah, I think like, I was sitting at, like, square leg. Um, and when you like just seeing the leg stump rock back and seeing stuck the, the fingers in the sky taken off, it was yeah, it was unreal. Um, yeah, the Burns thing's interesting. It's two days in and he's already had an absolute shocker. Obviously, he <laughs> yesterday and he put Warner down an absolute dolly at second slip today on like uh, it was just after lunch. It was the first over after lunch. Um, he might have been on 48 at the time, I think, or 49. Um, yeah, so not a good test for Rory Burns, but as Mitch said, that was kind of like a, um, I suppose, a sign of things to come for the English. They uh, they started poorly and it didn't improve, um, didn't improve from there. I'm sure that Rory Burns absolutely hating his uh, hating his trip down under at the moment, but um, I don't think he was alone in terms of disappointment in that England batting order. Um, Graham Swan came out and tweeted that uh, that top six would, would not have even made a test side in any country 10 years ago. Um, what did you what did you sort of make of the, I guess, collapse? Well, I said when we uh, predicted um, the, the result, when we tried to predict the result, I did say that these betas can't average 35 in their own country, let alone coming to a place like Australia where English batsmen historically have struggled. Um, yeah, look, it was it was pretty piss poor. Um, the f- I will say, I actually didn't mind the fight um, Ollie Pope and Butler put up. I, I actually thought Ollie Pope looked really busy, and he actually brought a bit of intent to the crease. The, the top four were a bit more... There was obviously a bit more in the pitch in that first session, but they looked like deer, like just deer in the headlights. Um I suppose Hamid showed a bit of ticker, but um, look, Joe Root nicks him in Australia. That's that's just always going to happen. He's had 18 innings, no hundreds in Australia, um, and look, to be honest, so much of that team relies on him to make runs at the best of times. Like I, I really don't see a way out. I, like I, lo- I like the intent that 
Pope and Butler brought, but at the end of the day, they got 35 and 39. That's not going to cut it. You need hundreds. You can't, especially when you're batting first in the first innings. If someone, if you need a big score, you need someone to step up. And England, I don't think they have the personalities for it either. To be honest, they seem like I don't know. None of them are alphas. But then again, our two best batsmen are not alphas either. So <laughs> I, I, I don't really know. <laughs> Tom, did you have any thoughts about England's batting? I, there's, um, there's honestly not too much you can say about it. Yeah, no, I think you hit it on the head. I, I like what I saw from Pope. I thought, yeah, as I said, he was real busy when he came to the crease. And um, I just think it was almost like the top four had it in their head that it was going to be a really tough batting day. Obviously, it was cloudy overhead and there was a bit of grass on the wicket and there was a fair bit made about Joe Root's decision to bat first. It was almost like they came to the crease with that in, in mind. They were they were super tentative. And you could see it at the Gabba. Like, they weren't, as I said, I was sitting at square leg and, um, you know, you could see they, they were getting caught on the crease a whole lot. Um, they just didn't look comfortable. I thought the only person who looked sort of real comfortable was was Ben Stokes. Um, and speaking of alphas, Mitch, I think he would probably slide pretty firmly into that that class of alpha. I was kind of half expecting him to to sort of dig in yesterday and um, make a bit of a statement. Um, but obviously, he, you know, he got a good ball. But, yeah, um, they just they rolled over. I think... You know, one thing so far through two days is I think the Australians have kind of won the big moments. Like, as we've touched on, Butler and Pope were sort of, they were building something. Um, you know, I think, what did Pope get? 30, 39, and Butler got 38 or something like that. Maybe it was the other way around. Um, they were building something, and the Australians just kept hammering away, line and length, line and length. And, you know, like, as they, they're so good at, they, they got the breakthrough um, with a couple of really good catches. And, you know, as we saw today with the English, they worked hard this morning. Obviously, Harris was out was out pretty quick, um, and they really they really tied Lavashane and and worn it down. But then Leach came into the attack, and you know they were, lost their discipline for a couple of overs, and all of a sudden the Australians had scored forty in like six overs. Um, so yeah, I think they haven't got enough sort of discipline, bat or ball, um, and the Australian bowlers especially really showed their. Uh, their class yesterday in, in, in bundling the English blokes out. So, I think you touched on it well. Um, you mentioned about winning the, the big moments. They just simply took their opportunities. Like the, the fielding yesterday for Australia was unreal. Um, yeah. And then you look at today about missing opportunities when obviously Warner got dropped by by Burns and um, Stokes bowls, bowls Warner on a, on a no ball and just um, simply just couldn't get any momentum going. And you mentioned Leach coming on and just getting sent to all areas of the ground. Um, his uh, his bowling stats were, were T20 like, so that was a, a little bit embarrassing. But what did you make of? We, we saw some footage today of Broad and Anderson absolutely steaming in in the nets at the back of the gab up. They both obviously got ruled out really close to the test. Um, what what do you think's going on there? Is it is it something psychological? Do you think they were just genuinely injured and have, have come good, or what? Um, what's the thoughts around that? Well, the reports were that um, Anderson was injured. Broad was just resting. Um, uh, I can understand the Anderson. Anderson's obviously getting a bit long in the tooth. And if there is one test where Anderson is going to be as close to his effect, like his most effective, it will be in the pink test at uh, the pink ball test in Adelaide because um, he does get the that pink ball tends to swing a bit more. And we all know what Jimmy Anderson can do with a swinging ball. Um, so I can understand that. But um, I would have thought a bowler like Stuart Broad would just be 
Like he's almost Gabba made. I actually think um, he's taken a he's taken an Ashes Fifer at the Gabba before. So, and he like actually Anderson's kind of doing the same thing, but they both seem to be aging. You know, aging like fine wine. I know that's a cliche, but um, yeah, like they Anderson. Anderson's been bowling as well in the last twelve months as he has in probably the last five years. But like I said, I can understand why. I can understand the approach they're taking with Anderson. Broad, I can't understand it at all. I Chris Wokes in Australia might as well be. I don't even know what he is. He's a he's a clubby in Australia. <laughs> Chris Wokes, he he's no good. I I appreciate. I do like uh, Mark Wood. He he does just have that X factor. Um, but I would have thought. I would have thought Stuart Broad was a must-pick at the Gabba, but that's just me. What did you make of it, Tom? No, I 100% agree with you. You literally took the words out of my mouth. I can understand the Anderson thing, as you said. Like, they were pretty – I think they were a bit sort of not concerned, but I guess underwhelmed with the the prep. Obviously, there was a lot of rain and stuff coming into the first test, and I can understand him sitting, um, you know, just due to his age and whatnot, and and we know how how much of a threat he's going to be with the pink ball, as Mitch mentioned. But, like, Broad – I would have picked him just for the fact that he's got the wood over David Warner like nobody else. Like, I get we're playing in Australia, but can you imagine David Warner playing test cricket for the first time in 12 months? And the last time he played against Stuart Broad was the worst we've ever seen David Warner bat. He had it all over him. Like, just the psychological factor. And I get the point about Wokes. Like, and I think Wokes, like, he wasn't great today. He wasn't terrible. Um, he's a pretty good, like, bang the wicket kind of bowler. Like, I think the gap is probably the best wicket for him in Australia, like he's going to get that bounce and he's going to get a bit of movement, you know, when he hits the seam and stuff like that. But I would have rather had Broad in there than Jack Leach. Like I could have told you coming to this test that Justin Lang would have sat that fucking batting group down and said, when he comes on, we will hit him to all areas of the park because you've got an English bowling group playing at the Gabba in December in Brisbane where it's 30 degrees, it's humid as fuck, you know, like all you want to do is... The less amount of overs he bowls, the better, because that means that the paces, the pace bowlers have got to bowl more and more and more. We saw it with Robinson today, come back for his fourth spell, busted a hammy, had to go off. Stokes, you know, all day um, had some kind of knee or lower leg problem, busted. Like, And that was because they fucking whacked Leach to all pass and he could only bowl 12 overs, whatever it was. Like, I just could not believe that decision. I would, I, I get you need to have a spear in Australia, but I would have rather just have picked Broad and had a Leach and gone with Joe Root as your best spinner, because you might as well... If you're going to pick Leach, you might as well just bowl root. They're the fucking same. Like, Leach sucks. He is well, absolutely <laughs> Well, Well, Jack Leach, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, that, just take that big fuck you from Tom Brandt. <laughs> that was absolutely ripper. I loved every little bit of that. Um, I, just I just don't get it. Like, I'm not like obviously not English, and I'm, I'm, I love to see the Aussies driving into them. But, like, I just never understood it. And like, I could have told you from the jump that that was going to be a game plan for the Aussies. They went out there. They executed it perfectly. Every time Leach came on to bowl, all the pressure gone, you know, and Aussie straight back in the box seat. Like, I don't, when you've got a guy like Broad who's taking 500 test wickets and he's sitting on the sideline, like, I just don't understand. It's uh, it's actually funny you say that, Tom, because I, when Leach come on for his first spell, I, I actually thought the same thing. I go, oh, here we go. And the first over went for one. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. Second <laughs> one for 18. <laughs> I was like, oh, yep, yeah, there it is. Like, That's- it's. You know, you know. Actually, what it reminds me of this this is harsh on Jack Leach, 
but it reminds me of do you remember mark craig from new zealand when yeah. he came yeah. for 870 off 100 overs <laughs> in australia it reminded me of that it was like oh this guy's this guy's not up to it here like he just looks like he he looked like a fourth grader buying to a first grader in the grade nets that's what yeah. it looked like i just don't understand it because like as i mentioned like it's the, it's the second day of a five-test series, and you've already got Ollie Robinson, who's proved like he's looked far and away their best bowler and their biggest threat. He's already gone off the field. We, know whether it was, we don't know if it was a cramp or a hamstring problem. He came back on the field later in the day, but didn't bowl again. So you'd have to assume it was some kind of cramp. But still, like, picking pick and Leach has just allowed the Aussie batters to just drive their pace balls into the ground, and we're one, you know, we're not even one innings through yet. Like, I just I just didn't, never understood it. Um you know, and Stokes obviously he doesn't look good. Looks like he's dealing with something, so they have to they have to find something there as well. But yeah, I don't know what they do next test because I don't think you can pick Leach, and I don't think you can pick Don Bess either. So I think Four Quicks is the only option um, going forward in Adelaide, and then have Root as your as your part time spinner. So yeah, well you mentioned it there, Tom. Obviously things just not looking good for England with the way that Stokes is hobbling around and. Ollie Robinson again, um, who really probably has been their only positive. I mean, Mark Mark Wood was solid today, like you, you mentioned, Mitch. But we we watched the first over of Robinson. He was trundling around, bowling at 120, 125, and um, we just thought it was just absolute pedestrian. But um, turned into a, what a pretty good bowling day for him. What'd you take, Mitch? Oh, like you said, what a, it was pretty funny. I'm pretty sure he come on um, at the other end. He he come on after Mark Wood. I'm pretty sure Mark Wood's first ball of his spell was 146. And then uh, big Ollie Robinson looks like he was in about a quarter, like going quarter speed into his run-up. Bowls lets out this 123 ball, and I was like, oh, no. But the more you watch him, like I can appreciate a guy like that. He didn't make many errors. Like A lot of their bowlers, as soon as they would bowl a few good balls, they'd over-pitch and get hit for four whereas i actually think ollie robinson was the only one of the quicks who consistently hit that deck and i didn't actually i didn't watch the last session of the day and obviously by the by the end score travis head obviously started to whack him around a bit so i don't know if he got a hold of ollie robinson but i i was really impressed with him um obviously he had that over where he took two wickets in two balls and i don't know what cam green was trying to do but that's another story um but, yeah, you're right, Weta. I mean, maybe it's just the two Ollies as the two positives. Like, at least, how old's Ollie Pope? See, he, he's young, and Nick. 23 or 24, I think. And Ollie Robinson's young as well, right? He's not He's not young. Well, he is young. He's 28. But he's not, in terms of athlete, you know, he's not. Really? I thought, he, I thought he was younger than that. Yeah. Yeah, look. I think, uh, I think the Gabba pitch was definitely good for Ollie Robinson. I think once... Uh, if he's bowling at the SCG or MCG, bowling 120s, I don't like it. But we'll see how it goes. But he's, he's he was definitely the pick of their bowlers today by far. Um, like you mentioned, Mitch, like with Travis Head, like Robinson didn't bowl. I think he bowled one over in that last session. Um, he came in. His first ball was 117, um, and he looked like he was labouring. That was when he had that ha- – he was grabbing at his hamstring. Um, and he bowled – he finished that over, went off for probably like a half hour or so, 40 minutes, and then came back and fielded to finish off the um the afternoon. But, yeah, like I think it's interesting. Like, 
you hear a lot of the former players like Ponting and Hayden, you know, Greg Blewett and stuff talking about how you have to keep pitching the ball up at the Gabba because, you know, like it, it comes through and there's a lot of bounce and there's, there's a lot of pace there for you. I think despite his, you know, obvious lack of sort of serious wheels, he um was the only English bowler who consistently like pitched the ball up and asked questions of the Aussie batsman. And then he kept, like he, he drew the Warner's edge, you know, two or three times. Um, obviously Nick Taras off um, and got, got Cam Green, you know, Top of off stump, and I think he showed the ability to sort of move the ball both ways all day. You know, he was he was moving it around three to T. Um, was I think Wokes had a tendency to be a bit short or, or really over pitch. Um, and Wood, you know, he obviously is a, is a hit the wicket kind of bowler. He's bowling absolute fucking rockets um, for most of the day, which is which is pretty exciting to watch. But yeah, I think Pope was uh, sorry. I think Robinson was um was like a really positive sign, and I, I think um you know. He looks like, looks a pretty good prospect. Bring on his bowled that similar kind of way in the, in the, his six tests in England so far. Um, is that sort of hit the wicket? Uh, you know, very skillful type of, of bowler. Um, and I think he relies probably a little less on the wicket than some of the other English bowlers might. Um, he's a bit more skillful than most of their pace battery besides maybe Anderson and Broad. So I think he was really positive, and uh, I think he's gonna gonna be a really sort of bright light for them going forward. Um, doesn't look like they're going to have too many, but I think he'll be one of them. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely, Tom. Before we get over to Sam, who is obviously a premier tipster at Punting Fantasy, um, just give a shout-out to a couple of the other boys. Look, I'll, I'll be honest with the listener, wasn't our best weekend... But uh, we had Primo, um, Rose Hill Race 1. He backed Shahonka. Uh, is that right, Wet? Shahonka, I reckon it is. Shahonka. Um, it got the win, but I think it was paying relatively close to even money. Um, and he, But he also had a tip. Uh, Welsh Legend was paying sixes, and it, it ran pretty well for second. Um, our other tip star, Witty, had a couple of second places in Baller and Reliable Star, but they were pretty short price. So, um, yeah, look, not our best weekend, but I'll let you get over to yours, Weddo, because I believe there wasn't much improvement on your side of the fence. <laughs> yeah, only downhill from here, but um, I will shout out. I will shout out Primo. <clears throat> it was really stiff. Welsh legend was really stiff. Um, looked the winner at the, the 200, but unfortunately just got, got run down. Um, was certainly riding that hard at home um my elite definitely one to forget and probably sort of um been epitomized by the scratching of uh, unflinching at packenham on the weekend i was really looking forward to to seeing his third run and um was my sure thing of the weekend but as soon as that got scratched it all sort of just went downhill a little bit um the second tip that i gave on the show last week rose hill race four number four i am power um, ex Hong Kong runner who just didn't didn't offer much um, had had a relatively easy run um, two back off off the pace setters and um, never really got going down the straight and sort of just fizzled out for a, a fifth or a sixth um, probably only three or four lengths off but just it just looked like an ugly, ugly run and um, didn't uh, didn't suit the conditions at, at Rose Hill on the weekend. Um, the other one, another one of my favourites, Doombin Race Seven, number two, the Horobian, um, who raced in in the big one up in up here in Queensland at Doombin, and 
maybe a little bit of heart betting going on here from the weekend um, that didn't pull through. But um, had again had a really nice sit and probably took took the turn relatively wide. Had to do a little bit of work just to to get into the clear and and didn't run all run on all that amazing. Um, it was definitely a, a good run by the winner. Um, very very deserving. But uh, to finish. Oh, and two, and the subsequent one that I put up after the scratching of unflinching, oh, and three. Um, certainly uh, looking forward to redeem myself this weekend. Um, we touched last week on the return of Carr, and I did mention to, to look out for Smoke and Romans um, in the, the Packenham Cup, who, who she managed to ride home, and it was a really nice return winner, and, and good to see her back in the saddle. Um, certainly impressive on the Friday and Saturday. Walk away with only the one win. I'm sure she would have taken it in the Packenham Cup. Well, yeah, as you know, Sam, the golden rule in all kinds of betting, roulette, blackjack, horse racing, you can't lose two times in a row. So we'll move on to this weekend. Um, <laughs> you've actually got a little Friday night feature for us. So um, by the time this comes out, the listener will need to be pretty prompt in getting this on. But... Um, Mooney Valley Race 8, number 5, paying 245. I'm going to let you pronounce it. I'm going to give it a crack and go Clemenso. Um, I reckon I'll, I'll have a pretty good guess that, that that's actually how it's pronounced. Um, only the two career starts so far, but times that she was running, uh, he was running some sectionals in was, was absolutely rapid, um, especially against the class. Um, Mooney Valley's definitely going to suit. He's got the inside draw. Um, and if there is any greenness there, I'm sure it'll be assisted by um, the ability to get to the rail. So um, hopefully we'll be able to, to see this guy get out in front and um, you know how it works at Mooney Valley. 75% of the time you back the front markers and uh, you, you get lucky. But um, no excuses for him. Uh, clearly the clearly the one to watch in that race and hopefully gives us a little bit of a kick before some Saturday racing, which would be nice. Yeah, well, well, as you said, but I'll move into Saturday, which I'm assuming is most of uh, most of the punting that goes on will probably happen on the Saturday. So these ones are your sure things, I'm sure. Righto, so we start with Eagle Farm, race six, number three. I think you've tipped this one before on the page. Oh, again, I should shout out the page, uh, punting.fantasy on Instagram. That's where you get all these tips. Um, as you heard, we didn't do well last week, so this week's the week to get in. We are absolutely due for a big one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sorry, Eagle Farm Race 6, number three, expat at $3.10. Um, you've tipped this one before on the page, Wedo. Not on the page. I've tipped it to the boys in the group chat, and uh, that's just what you get when you when you, you know who you do. And if you if you're on those winners through the group chat, you, you back the boys, you back the three tipsers on the page. Um, but I will tip it this week. Moved, make, made the move up to Queensland after – an outstanding win last last start in Sydney, um, which we all managed to ride home. Um, it was a heavy going there, and I mean, with all the rain that's been around, I can't imagine the track's going to be um, any any better than probably sticky. It's just going to be that real, um, obviously, plenty of grass coverage up here with all the rain, but underfoot, it's just going to be really suctioning and sticky. So I can't imagine there's going to be too much running on from the back this Saturday at Durban. Um, a little bit more speed in the race here, but should be looking to do the same thing and, and prove too good after giving plenty of side up front. Um, so keep keep an eye out, and uh, hopefully the prediction of, of a lack of running on at Durman this Saturday um, falls or continues on in, in race six for uh, for this guy. I'm really looking forward to watching that one. Yeah, me too, Wedo. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry for the misunderstanding of where you tipped him. 
I just know that I've definitely heard that name come from uh, the Wet and Tips before. But uh, moving on, um, Renwick Race 8, number 6. I actually believe this horse ran a couple of weeks ago and you didn't tip it, and I actually brought it up out of surprise that you didn't because uh, this horse is one of your favourites. Um, Ellsberg at $4.80, the place. Why would you go this one, Widow? It was pretty disrespectful of me not to uh, not to back in last start, and was uh, was very solid. Um, again, I mean, there's been pretty plenty of wet tracks down in Sydney, and, and this guy absolutely shone um, last start, winning winning the race. Um, obviously, the Villiers this weekend is is a pretty pretty deep field, um, and is the the feature for this weekend. But I've gone to him. I've got a lot of trust in him. Should be a ripper race to watch, just to, from a from a punning side of it, but. Um, like I said, one in a can at last start and on heavy going and, and looks probably more suited here. Um, pushes out to the 1600, so that, that extra distance shouldn't be a problem at all. Um, is absolutely rock hard fit and uh, should be doing a really good job to get the win. You've got an each way bet this week, wet, bit of value. Um, talk us through your, this one. Flemington race eight, number 11, good and proper. Obviously, seven bucks to win, 250 to place. What's your thoughts uh, going on here? Yeah, obviously not paying a mots up, but I'm a big, I was a big fan of the Elton Zara stable. Um, unfortunately, they, they split a few weeks ago, and this is the first weekend where um, they've got the ownership rights outright. So this is a uh, Matthew Elton horse. Um, I really like the look. I've really liked the look of him this prep. Unfortunately, he hasn't broken through for a win. Um, but uh, had had my eyes on on this girl for quite a while. Um, racing the same race as Steinem two weeks ago, which we managed to to tip and, and back the winner there. Um, only finished a, a handful, a couple of lengths back from from that. Um, the run looked solid. Looked like she just needed that run to to lead into this one, which would be a, a good watch. Um, the rising trip seems logical to me, and I think definitely has a has a chance to to notch up her first first win this prep. Um, in a relatively open race, so we'll be uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on her. Not too much value, but uh, definitely enough to keep Kirthy happy. <laughs> well, you uh, you just uh, let out the word value, so we're going to move on to a segment that, especially if we can find a winner or two, will quickly become everyone's favourite segment. Is uh, Brandy's dollar collector? Now, um, I'll start with like we did for Sam. Uh, you're our premier uh, value tipster, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Dollar Collector. Um, Doombin, race five, number three, Minto's Paradise last week. Um, you had it at $12. How did it go, Tom? Um, yes, I also mentioned on the pod last week in tipping this horse that um, I was pretty much looking for the best swimmers. Um, we'd obviously had a lot of rain in Brisbane last week, and the, the track at that point looked like it was going to be pretty heavy. Um, so I went with Minto's Paradise um, just based off the heavy record um, and the and the, the couple of previous wins. The actually the track was actually down to a soft six, um, upgraded to a soft six um, once once this race jumped. Um, so it ran fifth. Um, you know, wasn't 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 a terrible run, um, but just didn't quite get the job done. So we move on to this week, Tom. You're going to stick on the Queensland circuit. Um, Eagle Farm Race Seven, Simply Fly, eleven dollars to win, three dollars fifty the place. What do you? What, what's your thinking behind this one, Mister Value Hunter? Yeah, once again, I'm not trying to overthink it too much. Um, 
as you mentioned, like at the, at the start of the pod, lots of rain around tonight, a few storms and stuff. Um, the, the Eagle Farm course at the moment is currently a soft six, um, I think, already. So Soft at Eagle Farm? Yeah. Um, I believe that was what I checked before I jumped, we jumped on here, and that was what, it was, what I was um, at the moment. So, yeah, Simply Fly has a great record, um, really good soft record, really good heavy record, um, and pretty good over the distance in its in its few previous runs. Um, obviously, the the notes on its last run, um, it was taken out on the pace um, and, and didn't quite have the the stamina to get across the line. Um, so it's got Mark, big Mark on board this weekend. He's not going to make that mistake. Um, and, yeah, I like the I like the uh, the record. Um, you know, as Mitch said, 11 bucks, jump on. Um, There'll be, be plenty of value here, I think. Well, we're going. This is this is a bit off the fly, but uh, oh, on the fly, sorry. Uh, Weddo, can I get your comments on this? I think each week it'd be good if Tom could maybe keep it to himself, and then we'll get the premier tip start to. And just be honest, Wet. Like if you think this thing is no chance, and say it. But that that just makes for a bit of theatre. No, I'm actually really interested, and I said it last week. I am really interested in in this one. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the logic, but um, I really like the uh, I really like the form behind Tambo's mate and Lake Palmier. The latter, obviously, being pretty successful up here in Queensland, um, and Tambo's mate ventured down to, to Sydney, ran a pretty strong race down there before coming back up and actually beat the Horovian uh, last week um, in that race. So he was probably the the one to watch, and um, simply flies form behind. Behind uh, Tambo's mate was uh, was definitely one to that's going to lead me to think that this is a genuine chance. Um, we all know how much we love Marky Boy up here in Queensland. Uh, this guy's undefeated first up. Get on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that brings us to the end of episode five of the Punning Dot Fantasy podcast. Once again, thank you very much to those that listen. Hopefully we are able to find you a few winners. If not, Brandy's Dollar Collector is a sure thing. Um, so make sure you're on that. Once again, anything that you want discussed on the podcast, don't hesitate to, to DM us on Instagram at punting.fantasy. Always happy to bring up topics that the, uh, that the fans want to have discussed. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.